ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to be here. And uh, uh, this morning when I arrived at uh, London City Airport uh, in, in this uh, arid uh, and drought-torn uh, uh, part of the country to be greeted by this almighty deluge as I, I stood there absolutely drooking and soaking, I was thinking to myself, how nice it is for this water to be falling on this benighted, uh, benighted land. Uh, and I'm also aware... Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that perhaps this uh, evidence session, let's call it that, it won't necessarily be the one that's most in the news uh, that's happening in London today. But nonetheless, uh, I'm delighted to be here at the Institute uh, uh, Directors. Now, I want to uh, set out two uh, key messages uh, this afternoon. Uh, I want to explain how Scotland intends to make itself the most uh, attractive, competitive place to do business in these islands. Uh, and today we are launching a a new dialogue with potential inward investors about everything that Scotland has to offer. Uh, and secondly, to carry forward the argument, independence for Scotland would bring uh, substantial opportunities for businesses uh, across these islands. It is the case uh, uh, that sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, boardrooms down here don't focus on the opportunities that lie elsewhere in these islands. That's understandable, of course, because because London is one of the great world cities. But one consequence of London's success is that the UK has now become, in terms of economic distribution and growth, the most unequal country in the European Union. Neil O'Brien argued in The Spectator just last week that London exerts, quote, an overwhelming gravitational attraction, unquote, on the politics and economics of these islands. Uh, so one of my first submissions is that more balanced growth across these islands would benefit everyone. Uh, my contention is that Scotland under devolution is already becoming and has become a significant economic success story and that with independence we would do even better. Indeed, as my favorite uh, magazine, The Economist, uh, acknowledged just two weeks ago, although it has to be said that its front page designers didn't read the article inside, uh, and I quote from The Economist, Scotland performs better than all regions outside the southeast of England and has done particularly well in the last decade. Because the reality is that even if we discounted offshore oil and gas reserves, uh, Scotland enjoys the third highest per capita gross domestic product in the United Kingdom after London and the southeast of England. Including oil and gas, as an independent nation, Scotland would have the sixth highest per capita gross domestic product in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. The UK in that league table comes 16th. So for a start, Scotland is probably per head of population uh, the most energy-rich nation in Europe. In addition to 40 or more years of oil and gas reserves, we have 10% of Europe's wage resources, 25% of tidal energy, and 25% of offshore wind potential, which is not bad for a, a country with 1% of Europe's population. Now, of course, the, the wind doesn't blow all the time, not even in Scotland, and therefore we have a, a mixed energy policy for these long summer months when there's barely a breeze and Scotland basks in tropical heat. Uh, as I came from Edinburgh Airport this morning, I, I, I almost met Nicole, Nicole Kid, Kidman. Miss Kidman is making a film in in Edinburgh over the next three weeks, I met her uh, entourage, uh, and they were slightly disconsolate that they were also facing a deluge in Edinburgh, <laughs> much as we were in London City. So I did assure them that, uh, uh, that I was sure the, 
normal weather service of Mediterranean sunshine in a Scottish April would soon be restored <laughs> at early opportunity. But we may not compete in the sunshine stakes, but we certainly compete in the brain power stakes. Our universities in Scotland are world class. We have five in the world's top 200. We rank first in the world in terms of research productivity per unit of GDP and second in the world to Switzerland in terms of the research impact. Our whole economy is looking to the future. We have key strengths in a, a number of growth industries, life sciences, financial services, creative industries, food and drink. Food and drink where exports have increased by some 50% in the last five years. And we have a public sector in Scotland, united behind a core purpose of increasing sustainable economic growth, which actively engages with both business and academia. The business of Scotland, in that sense, is business. For all of these reasons and more, not least the quality of life that's on offer in Scotland, our country is increasingly seen as a great place for business. The Cardiff Business School in February said that outside of London, in terms of overall inward investment projects, one, Scotland has become the number one ranked region in the UK. The current Ernst & Young Attractiveness Survey for the UK goes further. It ranks it as by far the most successful location in the UK, even more successful in London for attracting inward investment in terms of jobs created. The FDI magazine recently found that Edinburgh and Glasgow were first and second in Europe in its ranking of the large cities of the future. And that success is continuing. Just a couple of weeks ago, Gamesa, the major Spanish turbine company, announced its plans to create a manufacturing base for wind turbines and leaf, creating up to 1,000 jobs. GlaxoSmithKline announced £100 million of investment in Montrose and Irvine. And at the end of January... Uh, Samsung announced it would base its first European offshore wind project in Methyl and Fife, uh, potentially creating more than 500 jobs. And these three companies uh, join a list which includes Amazon, Avalox, Ceridian, Dell, FMC Technologies, Scottish Power, Michelin, Mitsubishi, uh, and many others. We now have a situation uh, where unemployment in Scotland is lower than the UK, employment is higher, economic inactivity uh, is lower. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is against the context which we are reminded in the, the economic figures today, <clears throat> where the economic activity in these islands is at best bumping along the bottom, where the UK economy is once again in technical recession, uh, where there is an urgent, overwhelming need uh, for a growth and industrial uh, strategy. Uh, if I could just take a, a second or two to say that the... Uh, <clears throat> I'm about to announce to you the, <clears throat> a campaign, a marketing campaign in terms of Scotland's attractiveness. But I am not of the opinion that uh, recovery can be sustained by large businesses alone, despite the fact that many of our major companies are relatively cash-rich and looking for investment opportunities, despite how important it is and how valuable it is. You know, economic recovery can only be sustained by the small business sector taking advantage and having the finance and access to finance that allows them to take advantage of significant economic opportunity. Uh, and both, if we look at the construction figures for the UK, a 3% decline in the first quarter, uh, and if we look at the net negative lending of the banking sector to small business over successive quarters, uh, then there is no doubt uh, that a growth strategy has to involve a direct 
attribution to both. In other words, capital investment, direct capital investment in the economy to power forward uh, prospects of growth. Uh, and secondly, a direction of uh, certainly the public sector banks, as has been recommended, incidentally, to the, both the previous Chancellor and the current Chancellor by the Bank of England uh, in terms of lending availability to small business. I welcome <coughs> any gesture in the right direction, but the scheme announced in the budget, we have calculated, <coughs> will have a total impact in the Scottish economy for small businesses of some £15 million. Pounds. Uh, compared to, for example, the Scottish Government's small business bonus, which is an impact of £160 million. Pounds. And £15 million pound in the Scottish economy, or a 1% interest rate decline, allowing £150 million in the UK economy, is not going to transform the liquidity pressing requirement to small business in this uh, economy. So I've laid out the <clears throat> significant, impressive list of substantial inward investments that we've been announcing over the last few weeks and months. But I want to take that matter further. Our inward investment arm, Scottish Development International, is today launching a further marketing campaign to encourage business to invest in Scotland. I've personally written to around 200 of the UK's major companies, ones which do not as yet have operations in Scotland, to highlight how Scotland could benefit their business. Uh, the letter will be followed by direct contact with the SDI investment team. We'll raise awareness of Scotland's potential with daily adverts in the Financial Times over the next two weeks. Across the river at Canary Wharf, I'm told, our new animated advert will appear in the Reuters digital billboard, where it will be seen by more than 600,000 business professionals each week. And I can see that each and every one of you are waiting with bated breath to see the Reuters digital billboard. But the aim and the serious aim behind this campaign is to set out the fundamental strengths of the Scottish economy, our good quality of life, to highlight another crucial fact, that our business operating costs in key sectors can be 30% lower than in other parts of the United Kingdom. The message is clear. Well, Scotland is a land of major opportunity. It's open for business, and that means your business. I want to make it clear how important it is to have a public sector which is responsive to business needs, not just in attracting companies uh, to Scotland, but in the ongoing support we offer once investments are made. A Financial Times editorial commented last year, while parts of England are still struggling to adjust to the abolition of regional development agencies, Scotland has benefited from the continuity offered by Scottish Enterprise and its inward investment arm, Scottish Development International. Alan Lyle of Amazon, uh, while explaining why Amazon had chosen Scotland as the location for the largest fulfilment centre, said the decision was due, quote, not only to the excellent local workforce, but to the impressive professionalism of Scottish Development International. And in terms of the campaign which we are launching today, probably one of its most uh, impressive aspects is that supporting the campaign will be recent major Inward investors such as Amazon, Gamesa, Avalok, GSK, Mitsubishi and Ceridian are all signed up to give their personal testimony, the authoritative testimony on their recent experience to encourage other businesses to take the same route. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk a bit about the impact of independence. My submission is that independence will further increase Scotland's ability to meet the needs of business. It's been common in recent months to for the UK government to talk about the dangerous uncertainty 
caused by the prospect of constitutional change. Now, the view flies in the face of all factual evidence. In the last few years, as you may have noticed, in the last year in particular, has not been short of constitutional debate and discussion. But as I've just noted, it's been conspicuously successful in terms of attracting inward investment. The Sun newspaper, if I'm allowed to mention the Sun newspaper now, recently ran an April Fool's story about Scottish independence. The story said that in independent Scotland, we'd have our own currency and our banknotes would be decorated with pictures of Susan Boyle, the Edinburgh Zoo pandas, and myself. Now, it was a, an April Fool's story, but I can conclusively, exclusively confirm for the sake and absence of any doubt that the pandas and Susan Boyle won't feature on any banknotes. I'm still thinking... Now, obviously, the, the Sun story was deliberately uh, ridiculous, uh, as an independent Scotland would continue to use the pound sterling. However, the cunning part of it, the best part of it, was almost indistinguishable uh, from some of the scare stories that have emerged from otherwise serious people about independence over the last few months. George Osborne uh, appears to have warned that the UK government would prevent Scotland from using the pound, uh, ignoring the fact that... Uh, you can't prevent anyone from using a fully tradable currency such as sterling. Uh, last month, Theresa May warned there could be border checks at Berwick if Scotland became independent, uh, something that will be news to the people of uh, the Republic of Ireland who have coexisted in a common travel area with England, Wales and uh, Scotland uh, for generations. William Hague in January argued if Scotland became independent, <clears throat> British embassies would no longer promote Scots whisky. <laughs> now, as uh, my administration knows to its cost, uh, receptions to promote Scots whisky or any other goods that British embassies are actually charged by the Foreign Office to the Scottish Government, uh, but I rather suspect that the international whisky industry would get by without the promotional efforts of the British Diplomatic Service. And even it was argued in the Daily Mirror by a source from the UK government that the Edinburgh Zoo pandas themselves might be seized in the event of independence. Uh, as a result of that threat, I've decided to grant Tian Chin and Yang Guang political asylum <coughs> while reflecting, because I am Scottish, that actually the British government didn't contribute a single RMB uh, to the cost of the panda's arrival in our capital city uh, of Edinburgh. Now, the reality, the prospect, the real independence is very different from the scare stories. Uh, and I would say, Simon, it's of great credit to the institute directors that it's taken a, a much more considered approach to the issue uh, than many politicians and the occasional commentator. And I suspect the reason for that is, <clears throat> in this organization, people know from personal experience that the existence of different national parliaments does not affect the ability to function effectively uh, across a range of international marketplaces, and particularly within the single market of the European Union. <clears throat> so let's be clear. An independent Scotland would, of course, continue to be part of that European Union single marketplace. And despite what the Sun said on April Fool's Day, an independent Scotland would continue to use sterling. My government's already a member and an enthusiastic and keen member of the British-Irish Council, which exists to, with the Republic of Ireland and with the Man and Guernsey and Jersey and the devolved administrations uh, to look at issues of common interest and concern. That body recently agreed a number of issues relating to common energy markets and grid access across these islands. It's the sort of issue 
where the Scottish Government works closely with the UK Government, just as we did on the recent decision to locate the Green Investment Bank partly in Edinburgh. On matters of trade, security, infrastructure, we already cooperate closely with the UK Government. We'll continue to do so after independence. That is what good neighbours do. What independence will provide is Scotland with the powers, the new fiscal powers in particular, that we need to make our economy competitive. Currently, uh, spending in Scotland, about 60% is controlled by the Scottish Parliament, but only 8% of the revenue base of Scotland is controlled by the Parliament. With the new devolution bill, that will move to 16%. Uh, but 16% fiscal control is no control uh, at all. I set out recently in a speech to the London School of Economics that the areas of discretion and fiscal policy that could be used and utilised uh, within the context of a monetary union and how important these could still be. I just want to list a few examples, and I'm very happy to list many more. For example, the issue of capital investment, one I alluded to earlier, affecting right across the UK, and the overwhelming requirement, as I see it now, for capital, not revenue, but capital investment to be led into the economy this year in shovel-ready projects. We have a highly competitive public sector water industry in Scotland. It is a spectacular record it could borrow easily in the markets if it was placed in the same status as network rail, it could fulfill that role and duty. It would allow us to increase capital spending merely by taking that discretion on fiscal policy. We could adjust air passenger duty. Today, British Airways had made the welcome announcement of extra flights from Aberdeen to, to, to London City. But, of course, the overall picture of these islands is huge congestion at Heathrow, uh, and many of the airports elsewhere struggling for international carriage. Air passenger duty could be a weapon, a competitive weapon, to distribute the air traffic across these islands. Reductions in corporation tax. We've modelled the consequence of a 3% reduction in corporation tax in Scotland and found that it would support 27,000 jobs. It's also not just the rate of tax, but specific support for key sectors. And the creative industries, for example, could yield large, large dividends and returns from appropriate tax relief. The key point with all of these examples is that an independent Scotland in fiscal terms would not be dependent on decisions of the UK Chancellor, even when we agree with these decisions. We would operate on the best interests of the economy of the country and on the requirement to make our country competitive and economically efficient in comparative terms. In short, we could tailor our policies to drive sustainable growth, releasing inward investors and homegrown entrepreneurs to create jobs, to boost prosperity, to improve the lives of all of the people of Scotland. In conclusion, Simon, modern states are interdependent as well as independent. That much we know. As already indicated, Scotland would still use sterling. We'd cooperate within the European Union. We'd cooperate, of course, with the other nations of these islands. But we'd be a full and equal partner with the ability to make our own financial and fiscal decisions, meet our own challenges, build our own prosperity. Independence will give Scotland the power to make our economy and our society as good as we know it can be. I believe it's good for us. I also believe it's good for the rest of these islands. And I think in particular it would be good for you and your businesses. Thank you very much indeed.